Once again, we're going to find ourselves in 1 John chapter 4, looking at verses 1 through 6. So this week has been kind of a tough week for many people. I've had several conversations uh, with individuals in our church and, and, and within our community, and it's been a tough week, particularly in the area of spiritual growth or spiritual disciplines. In these conversations, while they have proved or they proved themselves to be beneficial, they proved themselves to be fruitful conversations, the start of them, however, seemed to be a little bit discouraging, primarily in the area of spiritual disciplines such as scripture reading and prayer. And you know, it's it's kind of common that in a season where there are so many changes and so many adjustments that, that have to be made and, and changes that are just kind of going on all around us, it's common where spiritual disciplines kind of take a back seat uh, to all of the different kinds of adjustments to the schedule that we're making. Now, I want to be honest, and I say this with love, although it is very common, and some people might even say that it's understandable, I don't necessarily know that it would be acceptable. And, and here's why. When we take our eyes and our attention off of our doctrine, that is what God's word says and, and, and God, what God reveals to us in his word, when we take our eyes off of our doctrine or when we take our eyes off of our devotion, we run the risk of not exercising discernment well. And so what can happen is that rather than exercising discernment or growing in this spiritual practice, we end up becoming complacent and we slowly drift from Jesus. In our time this morning, the Apostle John is going to provide us with three things. He's going to provide us with the necessity for discernment. Uh, he's going to provide us with the motivation for discernment, and then finally, the practice of discernment. If you are just joining us, we're walking through this series in 1 John called Walking in the Light, and the Apostle John has been writing to Christians um, and challenging them, exhorting them, and encouraging them in a couple of areas, particularly their doctrine, that is what they believe, uh, their devotion, that is how they live, and then finally their, their ethics, that is how they love one another and those around them. More and more as we dive into chapter 4 this morning and make our way into chapter 5, the Apostle John is going to become a little bit more practical, but his practice or him encouraging us in practical application is going to be a direct result of what he has previously taught us concerning what we believe, how we worship, and then inevitably how we love one another. The goal of our time this morning, or our main idea, is this. And that is, it is through the Holy Spirit that doctrine and devotion provide, or excuse me, produce godly discernment. Several weeks ago, we walked through a sermon in 1 John titled, Doctrine and Devotion, and, and how uh, our doctrine produces fervent devotion. Well, now we're adding a third element to it. And let me just repeat that main idea one more time. It is through the Holy Spirit that doctrine and devotion produce godly discernment. 
And so what I want to do is just read the first verse of chapter 4, and then I'll pray, and we'll dig into what the Apostle John has for us. This is what he writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Church, join me in prayer. God, as we dive into uh, your word this morning, um, Lord, my prayer is that our hearts and minds are prepared to receive what you have for us in your word. That our hearts and mind have been primed previous to worship songs. Because in this time, Lord, we are worshiping you. And so as we dig into 1 John 4, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our understanding of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus himself. Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer uh, to Jesus so that we would be um, conformed to his image. Um, God, I pray that you would draw us closer to yourself so that we would be sensitive and receptive to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God, I pray for those who, who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus this morning, not through me, but through your word and through the work of your spirit in them. And so as a result of that, God, would you set me aside? Uh, and Holy Spirit, would you be the one at work this morning? Um, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this unique way of gathering and continue to worship you, even if it's from... Uh, the presence of our homes and living rooms. Uh, Lord, I miss our church. Um, and so, God, I just pray that you would continue to encourage us through your spirit, or uh, that you would encourage us through truth, um, and that you would create a longing in us uh, for the day that we get to gather again and um, praise you, bring glory to you, um, and enjoy fellowship with one another. God, we thank you for this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in this section, uh, John is addressing false prophets or false teachers that have come from within the church. And they are trying to persuade people in the church to walk away from Jesus. This is something that we've been talking about over the course of our time in 1 John. And so chapter 4 opens up with John warning the church that um, warning the church that not only will false teachers and false prophets come from within the body, but that we as the church must test them, that we must test the spirits, we must test the prophets. And so what I want to do is examine exactly what John means when he tells you and I that we must test every spirit. The notes to the sermon are on the website. And if you see the first point that I have is that John is telling us that we must test the source, the message, the fruit, and the character, this is all under the area of the necessity of discernment. You see, when it comes to false teachers or false prophets, um, what they are going to do 
is inevitably they are going to try to sway you and persuade you with charm and even Christianese or gospel-centered language. They're going to sprinkle it over what they are saying. And what this means for you and I is that regardless of the preacher or the teacher, that we are to test them. We're going to test their source. That is, where is it that they are getting this truth from? Is it biblical? Does it point us back to the pages of scripture and to the person and work of Jesus. Uh, similarly, for the message that they are proclaiming, does it exalt God himself? Does it uh, tell us about our sin nature? And again, draw us back to the pages of scripture, draw us back to the person and work of Jesus. When it comes to testing the fruit, it doesn't just mean whether or not these individuals or their ministries or organizations do good. It is whether or not, once again, the fruit of their ministry, the fruit in their lives are produced or point us back to the pages of Scripture. Finally, when it comes to testing the spirits or testing uh, false teachers and false prophets is that we're going to test their character. You see, one of the biggest things that Scripture teaches is that before we do, we need to just be. And it pertains to our character. It pertains to the kind of person we are, not just what we say. That the way we live, is it congruent or is it parallel to what we believe? Church, one of the things you need to understand or that we need to understand is that just because people are on Christian radio, Christian TV networks, the Christian books section of the Barnes & Noble, or even churches, we must test every spirit and every teacher in accordance to what Scripture teaches. Because here's the thing. This is what John says in, in verse 2, and I want to keep going. <clears throat> he says, by this you know. Excuse me, it's actually verse 1. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And very, very briefly, I want you to fast forward to verse 5. John writes, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Here's what John is getting at when he uses the word world. When he's using the word world in this context and in the context of chapter 2, he is talking about a culture that is in opposition to God. He is talking about people that are in opposition to God, people who do not know and love Jesus. False teachers and false prophets are going to speak with charisma and charm. They are going to talk about things that people, including yourself, want to hear. It's going to be attractive to your ear. They are going to stir your emotions so that they would exploit them for their personal gain. In fact, one of the things that many false teachers do is that they actually begin to speak and teach from Scripture, but they begin to twist the message. 
whether it's to pin it on you through guilt or to teach in a way that makes you feel ignorant, they're going to teach, or excuse me, they're going to twist scripture for their profit and their gain. For a moment, I want you to turn your eyes to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, and this is what Peter writes. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. I think the key word in this, in this text from Peter, is the word secret. It's not only that false teachers and false prophets are going to come around. It's that they will come from within the body. And when they do, typically, they're not going to be loud. They are going to be secretive and subtle. They are going to reject central, core, primary, close-handed doctrines. And they might not necessarily do it in a way that is loud and causing a lot of attention. They will, however, do it in a way that is persuasive, subtle, and they are trying to draw you away from the person and work of Jesus. And so then the natural question then becomes, well, how do we combat that? How do we guard ourselves from false teachers who come from within the church and then false teachers who are popular in our day? Well, before we get to the practical side of things, John says one more thing that is an encouragement and a reality if we are going to uh, combat and contend uh, for our faith. And it's in verse uh, 2. John says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Here's what John is saying in verse 2 and 3 in a nutshell. He's saying, doctrine matters. For many, I know the word doctrine or the word theology can sound intimidating. But if you say that you believe Jesus is the Christ, or that Jesus saves sinners, you need to know that that is a theological statement. So in a way, you are a theologian. So as a result, you and I need to understand one thing. Doctrine matters. In the context of John's day, what he is addressing in verse 2 and 3 are Gnostics, this section of thinkers and philosophers who came from within the church, are trying to sway and persuade people away from Jesus, and in addition to that, believe that salvation comes through intellect. In addition to that, they believed that uh, Jesus walked the earth, only that it was not God incarnate. 
The incarnation is a central doctrine to the Christian faith. That is that God entered into human history as the man Jesus Christ. He lived the life in our stead. He lived a life in our stead. He died in our place for our sin so that we might be reconciled to God the Father. The incarnation is a closed-handed issue. And that's the issue, or that's the, uh, you could say it this way, that's the doctrinal concern that John is addressing in the context of their church in this day. How that applies to you and I is by asking the question when false teachers or false prophets arise and they start proclaiming their message, the question that you and I need to ask is, is this biblical? Is this biblical? Does it point us back to the pages of scripture? Does this teach us and point us to the person and work of Jesus? There are many messages that are good and moral and not biblical. What John is telling us is that you and I need to know our Bibles because doctrine matters. A couple of weeks ago, I was speaking with an individual who was concerned about a teacher that they met that was beginning to influence uh essentially their family. And as they began to share this concern, um, his biggest concern was that he didn't know uh, what scripture had to teach or say regarding said teachers. And in that conversation, what concerned me wasn't so much the teacher, though they were a concern. It wasn't so much the teacher. It was that this individual didn't know their Bible enough to protect their families. And, and, and my concern is that he's not the only one. That there are many Christians, many people in our church who genuinely love Jesus, but the words doctrine or just studying scripture is intimidating or unimportant. Church, the way we are going to grow in discernment, the way we are going to be able to contend for our faith, the way we're going to be able to make distinctions in the speech of preachers and teachers and church leaders is going to be by knowing our Bible. And when we hear these messages, when we hear these teachings, when we read these books and read these posts and listen to it on the radio, the question should not be, or the primary question should not be, is this good and moral? The question should be, is this biblical? That is the question. Is this biblical? And so we test the spirits because they are coming. They are here. We test so that we would guard ourselves. And all of this summarizes the fact that doctrine matters. And so let's keep moving forward. This is the necessity of scripture, or excuse me, the necessity of discernment. And that is that we test every spirit and that you and I understand that we need to be Bible men and women. Moving on to the second piece, which is the motivation for discernment. 
As I mentioned, false teachers are here and they will try to persuade you. And often Christians feel discouraged because they don't necessarily know where to begin on how to develop discernment or how to contend for the faith. And in these next couple of verses, John provides you with three reminders. And I love this because before we get into the practical, he starts with the personal. And so let's dive into these three reminders. I'm going to start in verse 3, which we just covered, and then dive into verse 4. He says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4, little children, which is a term of endearment. Little children, you are from God. I want to pause there for just a second. The first reminder that John has for you and I is that of our identity. Before we get into the practical application of how we grow and practice discernment, John wants to start with some personal reminders. And the first one is our identity. That we are not lost but found. That we are not orphans but adopted. That we are not slaves but sons and daughters. Identity begins with who you are in Christ. I think that's where it starts for everything. In other words, before you do, right, he begins with who you are. Because one of the things that we preach here at Storehouse is who you are determines what you do. And so before we get to the practical, let's be reminded of the personal. And that is that you belong to God. Here's the second reminder that John gives us. He says, little children, you are from God. That was number one. Number two, and have overcome them. He's referring to the false teachers. And he uses the word overcome. And so the question is, well, what do you mean we've overcome them? Here's what John is saying. Because you belong to God, you have the knowledge of God. That is, you have the knowledge of what God has done for you in Christ, that he has saved you. He has paid for your sin on the cross. He has removed your guilt and shame. You are forgiven. You have been reconciled. You are redeemed. You are new. You have a new heart and a renewed mind. And so just because they are going to attempt to persuade you and convince you and pull you away, not only from God, but the people of God, you have overcome them, not only because of who you are, but because you know what God has done for you in Christ. That's the personal, that's the second personal reminder. That you are from God and you have overcome them. Here's the third one. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The third reminder, the third personal reminder is the work of the Holy Spirit or the work in person of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. 
See the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian. What he does is that he guides us, he counsels us, he convicts us, and he reminds us of what Jesus has already spoken and revealed. Jesus talks about this in John 16. He talks about this in John 16, where he says that the Holy Spirit is not only going to come and dwell in you, he is going to remind you of what I have spoken. The Holy Spirit helps to remind us and guide us and counsel us with the truth as we experience the truth. It's, it's an and, not an or. I think sometimes Christians only want to be about the truth and not the experience, or vice versa. Some Christians want to be only about the experience and not of the truth. And what the Holy Spirit does is that he brings both of them together because it is our doctrine and our devotion that is going to help us practice and grow in discernment. And so the three personal reminders that John has for you and I before we dive into the practical is our identity, it is our knowledge of God, and it is the person and work of the Holy Spirit in us. As we continue, we come to the third section, which is the practice of discernment. Here's what John says. This is verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John puts two things on the table. He says there's, there's the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we're telling you the truth. This is a verse, a section where John is dropping his uh, authority as an apostle. He's saying, hey, as an apostle, I have been entrusted with the message of Jesus Christ. We read in Ephesians 2 that the apostle Paul says, hey, that Christ chose apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the church. And when it comes to discernment, even with what John is saying, when it comes to discernment, what you and I need to understand is that discernment is for every Christian. It's for every Christian. And although it is a gift of the Spirit, there are some individuals that will, that will have that gift in greater measure. Nevertheless, every Christian must practice discernment because it is a part of how we grow and mature. If we refuse to grow and practice in discernment, then essentially we forfeit our sanctification. And so in light of what John is saying, the question then is, well, how do we grow in discernment? How do we practice in discernment. I'm going to give you the formula, right? Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about it. If you want like A plus B equals C, this is where it is. And it is doctrine plus devotion equals discernment. The first thing I want to say is that both are necessary. Doctrine and devotion are necessary if we are to grow in our discernment, if we are to grow just in discernment overall. And so let's talk a little bit about doctrine. 
Now, when it comes to doctrine, as John was encouraging us in verse 1 and 2, and actually 3, 1 through 3, is that doctrine matters. That if we're going to test every spirit, that means you and I need to know our Bible. That means that you and I need to search the scriptures and beg God to meet us where we are so that he would reveal himself through his word. Oftentimes, some people believe, I need to get commentaries, I need to get systematic theologies, and the truth is, those are helpful tools and resources, but they're not necessary. Sometimes, I think many of you simply need to read scripture for what it is. Just start there. I was having a conversation with my son a couple of days ago, and one of the things that he told me he struggles with is comparing himself to other Christians in terms of what he should know. And the truth is, he's not alone in this. And I know many feel the same way. And so my encouragement to him in that conversation was, hey, I want you to read scripture plainly, just for what it is. And I want you to just start with that. One of the verses that we tend to use a lot in our house is Luke 16, 10, where Jesus is telling the disciples, whoever is faithful with a little will be faithful with much. I think sometimes, I think better yet, that's how we need to approach scripture. We need to approach scripture with faithfulness and reading it plainly and reading it for what it is. And some days it's going to be five verses. Some days it's going to be five chapters. But here's what is true. As we move forward in our time of the word, God will illuminate and mature our understanding so that when you go back to something you've already read, he's going to reveal to you something different through his word. So I want you to approach scripture in a way that is faithful and pleasing to God. I want you to approach scripture so that you would know Jesus better I want you to approach scripture so that you would know yourself better, so that God would be glorified, so that you would worship God as you read scripture. Now, let's pause here for a bit. I want you to listen to Acts 17, 11. This is what Luke writes. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Here's what Luke is saying. There were Jewish people who are receiving the gospel and they are testing the apostles by reading scripture. They're fact-checking them by going back to the scriptures to see if what they are saying lines up with the teaching of scripture. I want you to approach scripture, not because it pleases me, because it pleases God in your worship and you will grow to know him better and you will grow to know yourself better and it will aid in your growth and maturity. Reading scripture is not just a discipline, it is worship. Now, in that same vein, 
there are many of you who are like, yes, I'm going to read scripture and I do read scripture. I read a lot of it. And that's great. Some of you are doctrine heavy. Some of you love all the commentaries. You love all the systematic theologies. You are all about that doctrine. Here's the problem, though. You're kind of like that weightlifter in the gym who can bench 300 pounds but can't do a single pull-up. Earlier this week, I was having a conversation with an individual from our church, and we were talking about this specifically. They, they love theology. They love geeking out. They love being a nerd, and I love this about them because it certainly uh, allows us to have some fruitful conversations. But in that conversation, I brought an observation to their attention about whether or not they could apply scripture to the condition of their heart. And in that moment, they were stumped and they received it. Well, man, they praise God for that. They received it well. And it was a really, really good conversation. I was very thankful for it. But in that conversation, the application of scripture to the condition of their heart was, uh, they, they just got stumped. That's some of you. Some of you are doctrine heavy. They have no idea how to apply this. You're like the person at the gym that can bench three plates but can't do one pull-up. The next thing in that equation that I was telling you about is, so we got doctrine, now we got devotion. Here's what devotion entails. It is not just quiet time in the morning with your coffee and your Bible. It certainly is a part of that where you worship God through prayer and you come before him in humility and vulnerability. You meditate on God's word. That is certainly a part of devotion. But in addition to devotion, it is also how we live. Who you are determines what you do. What you believe shapes how you live. If there's a disconnect between our doctrine and our devotion, we are like the person James talks about in chapter one, that we are double-minded and unstable. And so when it comes to devotion, some of you who are doctrine heavy, some of you who are doctrine heavy, what you need to do is, man, spend time with God and apply it to your everyday life. Apply it to the mundane because that's exactly where you and I are being called to apply what we learn about God as he reveals himself to us through his word. I want you to listen to the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 66. Here's what he says. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. This is an individual who is begging God to meet him where they are in his words so that his word, um, so that God's word or his life would be shaped by God's word, by what God has spoken and revealed to him. In addition to that, there are many Christians who would fall under the devotion part, but not on the doctrine. In other words, it would be heavy under devotion, that they want the feeling and they want the experience. And here, here's what is true. Christianity is certainly an experiential faith. It is grounded in truth, and you and I will have an experience, an encounter with God in our Christian walk. However, sometimes we are driven and even controlled by our emotions. And here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that emotions are bad or unimportant. In fact, I think they're very important. 
But it is the word of God that is going to teach you and I how to faithfully engage our emotion. Not dismiss them, not throw them under the rug, uh, not make light of them, but how to faithfully engage them. I've seen many Christians amen on a Sunday morning and then repost false teachers on their social media page because what they said stirred a particular emotion and it sounded good. However, it wasn't biblical. And because of that, we have Christians who are immature in their understanding of God's word because doctrine or theology or even spending a considerable amount of time searching the scriptures and worshiping through meditation and reading is intimidating or unimportant or not how they're wired. And so therefore, I just want to feel and experience and no one is taking away your emotion or your experience, but it is the word of God that helps us inform and engage our emotions properly, biblically. Both of these are required if you and I are going to grow in our discernment. And so what I want to do now is I want us to look at what is and isn't, or better yet, let me say it this way, what isn't and is discernment. The first one is the confusion or the approach between what is moral and what is biblical. We've been talking about this. I'm going to give you four things. They're, all of them are at some point or another are going to overlap with one another, and that's okay because some of them are just some, some minor distinctions that we need to be aware of. And so the first one is moral versus what is biblical. In other words, sometimes we will look at others or ourselves and how we are wired to determine what is right and what is wrong. The problem with that is even what is right and wrong must have a source. You can't just say something is right and something is wrong because that's how you feel about it. There must be a source. And so the greater question to the debate of morality isn't whether or not morality is good or bad. It is what is biblical. You see, because what is biblical is going to bring both grace and truth. Sometimes there are those who want to pursue being the moral police or a moral compass for everybody. This is right, that's wrong, you shouldn't do it this way, you should do it that way, you shouldn't have done it here, you should do it there, X, Y, and Z. And that's not necessarily bad if it points us to Jesus, if it helps us grow in our sanctification, if it helps us in our discernment. Sometimes, however, it's not about being right or wrong, it is, being about, it is about what is biblical. Another one is uh, discerning between judgment and wisdom. That when it comes to judgment, there are some Christians who will use the word discernment when they are really judging other individuals. And you might say, well, doesn't the Bible teach that we are to judge particularly those within the church? And the answer would be, yes, you're right. It does say something about us using sound judgment. 
What I'm referring to is judgment that is rooted in self-righteous arrogance. The kind of judgment that, while you may not necessarily articulate this, the kind of judgment that communicates that you are better, you are smarter, you are more knowledgeable, you even have more life experience. The individual who exercises discernment and wisdom is going to engage others graciously and in humility. The third one, discerning between harmful and helpful. Sometimes individuals will actually be more harmful than they are helpful. That is that they will belittle other individuals, that they will condemn other people. You can see how this bleeds into judgment or moralism. The problem with this kind of approach to discernment is that it's not helpful. A helpful use of discernment is when an individual is gracious with other people. Now, I could end there. But that would imply for many that we are to extend grace and be passive. But that's not necessarily what I mean. That when we engage others graciously, it might also involve us rebuking them and correcting them. Not because we don't love them, but because we want to. And in our rebuke and in our reproof, in our correction or us uh, helping them, we are pointing them back to the pages of Scripture, the person and work of Jesus and their sanctification. And we would expect them to do the same for us. The individual who is grounded in moralism, judgment, and is harmful in how they approach or engage other believers is not rooted in their sanctification, or at least struggles to. <clears throat> the last one, discerning between a critical spirit and a critical mind. The critical spirit is already dug in their heels concerning the condemnation or judgment of another believer. Oftentimes, they will keep them at bay. They will even keep them in the margins because what they are basing that individual on is right or wrong, not what is biblical or what is gracious or what is truthful according to God's word. The individual who exercises discernment through a critical mind is going to exhort an individual, might even rebuke an individual. But again, in their rebuke, they are pointing them to the person and work of Jesus. That in their exhortation, um, they are actually going to help them grow in their sanctification. That their desire is for them to be more like Jesus. You see, an exhortation, here's what it isn't. It is not you and I sitting at a table and me telling you this is the problem and you need to fix it. An exhortation, what happens is that I come around the table and sit with you and say, here's a problem. What are we going to do about it? What does scripture teach about this? That is what it means when Paul says that we must bear one another's burdens. 
Sometimes, and this might be you, that when it comes to exercise, exercising discernment, you're not actually exercising discernment, but judgment and condemnation. And it is rooted in arrogance because you're right and they're wrong. They need to figure it out because you already have. And when we respond and engage one another with a lack of discernment, what we do is that we bring reproach to the gospel. We tear one another down. We attack one another. Listen to the words of Jesus in, in Matthew 7. He says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not telling you not to address one another or engage one another, even when it comes to reproof or rebuke. What I'm saying is, before you move forward in that, have you examined yourself first? See, the Christian that is heavy in doctrine is going to want to bring truth, or the Christian who is heavy in moralism is going to uh, want to bring uh, a heavy dose of right and wrong, and yet both are unloving. The Christian that only wants to reside in devotion and experience is going to produce sentimentality because they're going to want to excuse the sin, because that's not necessarily something we need to talk about. And both sets of individuals never actually examine themselves first. Yes, we need to engage one another with truth and grace and love. Absolutely. And we need to examine ourselves as well. In addition to that, when it comes to discernment on the receiving end of a brother or sister, discernment helps us determine how to receive what they have for us. Discernment helps us identify pride in us and what we need to let go of so that we would embrace humility. Sometimes, Christian brothers and sisters come forward with a discerning word and, hey, I want to help you grow. And man, I just want to say something about what you said. And sometimes Christians are quick to be defensive. Growing in discernment doesn't simply apply to you exhorting or rebuking or encouraging others. It also applies to how well you receive encouragement or rebuke from a brother or sister. Discernment helps us determine how to best make wise decisions. Discernment helps us identify and engage our emotions by first being informed by the Word of God. Discernment is produced 
as a result of a good, healthy dose of doctrine and devotion. And the carrier in that is the person and work of the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in the Christian. So as we close, Christian, perhaps you lack discernment because you've forfeited your sanctification. In other words, you're hoping others will do the work for you. How's that working out for you? Some of you are too heavy in doctrine. Therefore, you lack application, wisdom, and love. Some of you are heavy in devotion. Therefore, you lack truth and often can produce sentimentality. And what that does is excuse sin at times. Regardless of where you're at, turn and repent of your arrogance and your complacency. Certainly place your trust in Jesus. Absolutely. Beg the Holy Spirit to be at work in you and be proactive about searching the scriptures so that you would come to know Jesus better so that you would come to know yourself so that you would guard yourself and protect your family and friends this isn't meant to be some guilt trip for not reading you are forgiven as a result of belonging to god remember the three reminders that john had for you hey your motivation for growing in discernment is that you belong to god it's that you know god and it's that the person and work of the holy spirit dwells in you that's the motivation and if you're not a christian i fear that you might look at life or the world and, and right or wrong. I would actually encourage you with the words of a Baptist preacher. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And he said that discernment isn't telling the difference, is not telling the difference between right and wrong. Discernment is telling the difference between right and almost right. Additionally, you may believe that the truth is what you make it. And that's a very dangerous philosophy because we live in a culture that produces and makes much of tolerance. And the danger with tolerance and the danger with the culture of tolerance is that we can never actually speak into one another. And so how is that working for you? When we talk about what you believe and what truth is, please hear me, I, I, I am not pointing out your skill. I'm, I wanna address your heart and your character. Turn away from your arrogance. Trust in the person and work of Jesus. I promise you, here's what he offers you. 
okay? And if you don't believe me, you can search the scriptures. Here is what Jesus offers you. In repentance and faith, Jesus offers you sonship. That is, that you are no longer lost, but found. You are not orphaned, uh, but adopted. You are no longer a slave to your sin and unrighteousness, but now you are a son or a daughter to the Father. He promises you a new heart. That he will take your old heart and implant his word and spirit in you so that you would receive a new heart with new desires. That he will renew your mind. So your thinking will, like your circumstance may not necessarily change, but you will now view your circumstance in life through the lens of the gospel, which helps to produce discernment in you that is a work of the spirit and that you would have the same reminders the same motivations and encouragement that the the people of God have that is that you belong to God that you know God and the spirit dwells in you if but you would repent and turn to Jesus church I am missing our time together I hope that this time apart and as unique and strange as this season has been, I hope that it produces a longing in us to be together soon. And in the meantime, in the meantime, let us be reminded, let us be Bible people, devotional people, let us be reminded that doctrine and devotion produces godly discernment for his glory and our good. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where, uh, man, we, we continue to gather online, but uh, in addition to that, we thank you for this time where uh, hopefully our hearts have been receptive to your word and, and that we are doing business with what you convicted us of, with what you challenged us on. And, uh, and so, Lord, I pray that it would be fruitful and beneficial. I pray that it would draw us closer to Jesus, both in worship, uh, in truth, and certainly in deed. Spirit, would you draw us closer to Jesus so that we would be transformed more into his image? <clears throat> Spirit, would you uh, convict us with the words um, of God uh, so that we would not just be repentant, but so that we would be a discerning people for his glory and our good. Amen.